Hey, I'm Kim Short, and it's time to get your podcast on. Welcome to What Led Her Here, exploring the defining experiences of women's lives. My guest today is Shar Ray, AKA Wonder Woman. Really though, she is truly an incredible force in this world. Shar is a mom of three, a practicing chiropractor and co-founder of The Empowerment Project, a program that brings science-based mindfulness education to workplaces, schools, and now online. Shar is passionate about empowering others to become their best selves. And you all know empowerment is my jam. So I'm excited to have her here today to share her story. Welcome Shar. Thank you so much for having me, Kim. This is very exciting. Yes. So when we were prepping for this interview, the story you shared brought me to tears unexpectedly. (laughs) It touched me so deeply because I can relate to a lot of what you said. Can you take us back to that turning point in your life when you became a mom and share why that moment was so pivotal for you? I will be happy to share that story. It's It is one of those stories that I share often because I feel like it gives a lot of people permission to start understanding who they are and what they might want to start changing in their own life. So Alicia was born in 2003. And I remember when she was born, the first words I muttered to her were, I hope you're nothing like me. And, um, that basically meant that I didn't want her to feel like she wasn't smart. I wanted her to feel worthy. I wanted her to feel valued. I wanted her to understand what it meant to have a healthy self-esteem and a healthy self uh, and healthy self-confidence and to feel smart and just know that she could be or do or have anything that she wanted in her life. So when the midwives took her away uh, to weigh her, I started panicking and I started I started feeling this heat sort of rise in me because I realized that Here's this little girl who is going to now look up to her mom, like another female figure. How am I going to teach her all of those things I want for her when I didn't even understand them myself? So at that point in time, sure, I was a practicing chiropractor. I was a first time mom, but I was suffering from a lot of those things. Like I didn't have a very self, a healthy self-esteem. My self-confidence was out the window. I had no idea what it felt to be worthy or valued. And um, that was a pivotal point for me in my life where I realized I need to do some work on myself in order to save this child. I'm like, otherwise she's doomed. You know, if I can't help her, there's nobody that can. And that is really what took me on this very long journey now, 16 years of self-discovery and self-help. I mean, Indigo, the self-help section, that was my favorite place to be. <laughs> I've like invested in so many books because I needed to understand where my shortcomings came from. Like, you know, why I actually felt the way that I felt. Where did they come from after you started to explore that? I think that a lot of it ended up coming from my childhood. So what's really interesting is I have immigrant parents. So my parents came here. And one of the things that I actually understand now that's a common theme with a lot of immigrant parents is their availability for chi- for their children. So I found that my parents were not emotionally available for me as they were 
in other aspects. So their first job was survival. Okay, so I need to work. I need to be able to put food on the table. I needed to make sure that there's a roof over my head and my kids are clothed, that they can go to school. So that lack of emotional availability, I think, added to or or basically caused some of this uh, lack of self-esteem to and lack of self-confidence to sort of take form. And then again, being immigrant parents, there was so much structure that was already put in place for me. So an East Indian family, my role as a female, the first female, second born child, that was already identified for me. So I already knew what my role was and it was to serve my family, help my mother, serve my family. And then of course, so culturally, gender wise, their ideals, their thoughts of what their children needed to be, that was basically instilled in me, right? So I became a lot of what they wanted me to be without really exploring who I was and what I wanted to be, right? So I think that was a really, really big thing, that lack of emotional availability, not really being able to voice my opinion and my ideas or my wants and desires and really making sure that they were happy with who I was so they were comfortable. Yeah. Those cultural and gender roles that are set for us, right, when we come into this world can impact us so much. And it's not until later in life many times that we look at them and say, wait, why am I like this? And why am I doing all this? And, and you know, is this who I actually am? And then we start to challenge those. Absolutely. I mean, as an adult, Alicia was my precursor. Like she was the one that said, you're not supposed to be this way. You know, there is something in you that needs to change in order for you to make that change in my life. Otherwise, as we know, it's cyclical, right? You end up putting a lot of your ideas and your beliefs onto your children because that's what you've learned. And in fact, one of the things that we actually teach children and adults in the Empowerment Project is um, actually research that was done by a doctor named Dr. Bruce Lipton. And what he found was that children between the ages of zero to seven live in what's called a hypnoidal state. So that basically means that their brain waves are so slow, it's almost like they've been induced in hypnosis. So as you know, when someone is undergoing hypnosis, um, they need to be impressionable, right? And so the only way to do that is to slow your brain waves down. But children naturally live there between the ages of zero to seven. So at that point in time, whatever they hear, whatever they see, whatever they touch, whoever their major influences are, whether it's their parents, their guardians, their siblings, their teachers, uh, their family, that ends up shaping who they are. They create this blueprint, this operating system that we as adults still operate off of. So that for me, when I discovered that through my own healing, I'm going to say, through my, my own journey, I thought, wow, that's remarkable. Now, if I could take that information to other adults, to other kids, and really help them understand that if there's something in your life that's not serving you right now, you can change it. Would you do it? 
Mm-hmm. Right? Like think about that for a second, Kim, right? If you knew this information and you knew as an adult right now that you were maybe operating on some of those old blueprints and that old programming, if you could change it, would you do it? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think as parents, you know, we learn from our own parents, right? So at first we do a lot of what they did, or maybe in some cases we choose to not do what they did, but you know, we start out by telling our children, this is this and that is that. And then that changes. They start, I guess, at, is it age eight? I don't know. Yeah. Seven and eight. Yeah. It, It changes and we have to shift our parenting, right? And they are more of, you know, they push back and especially in the teenage years, right? right? And that it's more of like, I don't know if it's a partnership is the right word, but definitely I've felt that shift in my own parenting recently as a mom of teens. Of course, very important for you to shift your parenting because again, the way that we were parented was very different from what I think our kids need now. Uh, but I am going to tell you that when those buttons are pushed of mine, and my kids know my buttons, right? <laughs> when they push those buttons, it is remarkable what happens. I am taken back to my childhood and I am taken back to places where I saw my parents parent me. And that starts coming out for me. And so, and then at that point in time, I realize, oh my gosh, okay, they're pushing my buttons and I've just become my mother. <laughs> when you know that- We all have those moments. Right, we all have those moments. And what's really interesting is you realize that, again, there are some wonderful things that our parents did to raise us. And of course, I don't hold anything against my parents because remember, they also had an upbringing. They also had a story. They also have a blueprint. But I think- the gift that we've been given, like you and I with our children, is that gift of awareness mm-hmm. where we know we have the ability to change certain things if they don't work in our family dynamic. Yeah. As long as we're open to, you know, getting out of that rigid role of I am the parent, you are the child. Right. We can raise healthier kids. We say we want to raise leaders, not followers, but oftentimes, would you agree that like that old style of parenting doesn't lend itself to that? You're right. The gift that we've just talked about, this awareness and what we're able to teach our kids gives them permission, right? So because, you know, as a parent, let's be honest, we're going to make lots of mistakes along the way. But I think as they see us coming out of our own shell and us refining our ability to parent and also understanding that maybe some of the things we did in the past were not the best choice that we've made, it gives them permission to do the same, right? Because now you're right. We need to have these conversations with our kids. They're bombarded with, I think, way more out there in the world of social media and school and friends than I think we were. Um, So those pressures are there. So I think giving them the permission to make those mistakes, but also giving them the awareness that they can make better choices that, Hey, you know what? I made a mistake that's okay. I'm not going to beat myself up over it, but now I know, and I'm going to make a better choice the next time. Absolutely. So I think that's really the gift. I think the more work we do on ourselves as parents, the more they're going to be inclined to do that work too. 
I agree totally. I think a gift, like you said, that we can give them is for them to see us as normal people who fail sometimes and make mistakes, but get back up. And like you said, learn from those mistakes and do better next time. So, you know, if they have us up like on a pedestal, that doesn't help them. That's, it seems like this untouchable thing, but when we let them in on our own vulnerabilities, like you said, it gives them that permission to reach farther because they know that they can make mistakes and survive and thrive. You're right. I can't tell you how many times I've apologized to my children. Yes, me too. You know, I've apologized to them. And, you know, um, again, I parent a little differently than my husband, which I, I know that is a struggle for a lot of couples. But what I do... I know consciously and with my own self-awareness is if I do make a mistake, I go and apologize to them. And they kind of look at me like, oh, that's really interesting. Mom's apologizing uh, to us or to me because of something that happened. And guess what I see now? They apologize to me. I can't tell you how often my, my teens will, you know, be a little out of control, maybe say things that are a little hurtful or a little harsh. And again, because they're undergoing their own stresses and their own pressures, but guaranteed before they go to bed, they will come to me and say, mom, I'm really sorry that I blew up that way. I hope you can forgive me. And again, isn't that the whole point? That awareness that these kids feel like, okay, I made a mistake. I blew up, but you know what? I know it wasn't right. I'm going to go and apologize to my mom. And so that apology, that ability for me to forgive them. But guess what that does too? That gives them permission to forgive themselves. Absolutely. Right? Because I think forgiveness too is a two-way street, right? It's a two-way street. You can't just have someone forgive you for what you've done. So often we hold that grudge and we hold that stuff against our own selves. Mm -hmm. So we often have to forgive ourselves for doing whatever we've done that may have hurt somebody, right? So that is one of the cornerstones when we are raising these kids um, for them to be able to access, right? So gratitude is another one. That's another cornerstone that I feel is really important where kids are able to feel grateful for the gifts that they have in their life, for the opportunity to have conversations. I know that you can totally agree with this. Being able to sit down and have a conversation with your kids. I mean, how does that feel to you? Oh, I love that. I mean, I've always really prided myself on being open with my girls on any topic in an age appropriate way, of course. And obviously those conversations have changed over the years from when they were little till now. And now we're like, I feel like we've just entered into a new phase of openness recently, Yes, um, which is great because then they feel safe and comfortable talking to me about, you know, sometimes subjects that are, I don't know if taboo is the right word, but you know, there are definitely, you know, friends of theirs who don't have that relationship. And I really value that with my own kids that I I think, you know, the communication is pretty good. Uh, You know what? And that's where that gratitude comes in, right? Where you feel so grateful and thankful that not only are you able to have those conversations with your kids, but your kids are grateful because they have a safe place to come, right? They have a place that they can come where they know they're not going to be judged. You know, it does not matter what they're coming to you for. As a parent, your job is to listen. Well, at least in my opinion, again, everyone's roles are different and I don't judge anyone for the kind of relationships that 
they have with their children because it's a learning curve, I think, for everybody. Uh, but when the kind of atmosphere, it sounds like you and I have very similar spaces in our home. We've created a space where they can come and talk to us about anything without being judged about whatever that is. Because it's such a confusing time for them. Yeah. Right? So I think, again, that gratitude and just feeling that thankfulness that we can have these open-ended conversations in this communication is so important. Because I know I didn't have that growing up. Yeah. I didn't really talk to my parents. I mean, there was more of a element of fear. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the thoughts and ideas I had in my head were never vocalized. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so that communication's huge. Yeah, I agree. That brings me back to another topic that you touched on earlier that I would love to explore a little bit further. And that is when you and your partner have different parenting styles, Mm -hmm. because I do think there is a bit of that in our house. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's most houses, right? Yeah, I agree. And again, we've all been parented differently. So what are we bringing to the table? Different parenting styles, right? Yeah. You know, in the best case scenario, those can complement each other. And like where you know, one might fall short or, you know, the other one sort of picks up the slack and, and it can be this, you know, you, you all have your different strengths and things like of that, course. right? I was wondering if we could talk about, um, you had told me a story about your son, Justin, mm-hmm. when he had expressed some emotion and you and your husband had different reactions to that. So just in terms of, because I think talking about gender roles and, and the society's view on those and breaking those and challenging those, I think is really, really important. So if you're willing to share a little bit more about that story, I think that's a perfect example of how things are starting to change with those traditional roles that we've seen for so long. You are so right about that. And this is such an important topic. And again, I think if I can say this again, we have to be able to give our kids permission to to be who they are, right? So not just now we know, uh, not just female roles, as you, you've you grown up in a certain environment and you've had certain roles in your family. I had certain roles in my family. And, you know, I know that my girls have that as well. But very interestingly enough, I also have a son. And watching my brothers grow up and also seeing a lot of how my brothers grew up in my husband, I understand that their ability to express their emotion is not there. So with my son, this particular story, um, he was very upset about something. He's nine years old. And so he was very upset about something and, you know, he was crying. And my husband had said to him, you know, stop crying, you know, be a man. And, you know, as soon as he said that, I was just, uh, I said, no, 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 he needs to express how he's feeling. Like if he needs to cry, you need to allow him the ability to cry, right? Because that's the big difference. A lot of our, uh, a lot of, I guess, let's say our spouse's generation and prior, like our our dads and grandfathers, I don't think they ever got permission to be emotional, right? Like that was a woman's job to be emotional. And often how, like how often have we been uh, scrutinized because, oh, she's too emotional, right? And it almost sounds like it's a weakness, but truly it's not. For me, when someone is able to express their emotions in a real raw fashion, 
that shows me that this person is very strong and they're not afraid to be who they are or who they need to be in that moment, right? So when my husband had said that to Justin, I said, no, you know what? You have to let him express his emotions. And then Justin came to me later and said, I'm confused. And I asked him, okay, so what are you confused about? He said, well, dad tells me to stop crying and to, you know, man up or be a man. And you're telling me that I need to cry and I need to let my emotions out. And I said, yes, absolutely you do. And your confusion is coming because dad and I obviously have different views on it, but you have to remember something. Dad grew up in an environment where showing emotions was not a sign of strength. It was a sign of weakness. So not only does dad have a hard time expressing his emotions, it makes him uncomfortable when you express your emotions, especially because you're a boy. And so the conversation sort of went into what do emotions mean? And emotions to me have always meant energy in motion, Mm -hmm. right? So that energy can come through sadness. It can come through anger. It can come through, um, you know, resentment. It can come through joy. I mean, emotions really are to be moved through our body, right? Like it's kind of hard not to put a smile on your face when you're feeling really great about something. And it's kind of hard not to feel sad and want to cry when, you know, something has happened in your life that maybe you can't really understand at that moment. So the other thing that I was explaining to him is that if you do not express your emotions, what happens is they get caught within your body. Energy can get caught through your body if it's not expressed. And when energy gets stuck, it becomes stale, it becomes stagnant. And you can actually get sick from it. Mm-hmm. Having said that and having explained that to Justin, he is far more comfortable expressing his emotions. Now, if he's angry or if he's sad, you know, we always say, hey, you know what? If this is not the place that you want to express your feelings and emotions, have some time in your room, mm-hmm. you know, sort your feelings out. When you're ready to join us downstairs, we're here to listen. But, you know, especially when somebody's really angry about something, you don't want them to be spewing that on everybody, right? Yeah. So I'll often say, okay, listen, I get it. You're you're mad right now. It's not fair that you let that out on everybody. Take some time, go to your room, sort that out. And when you're ready, come join us. Yeah. We're here to help and we're here to listen. We're here to support. So in talking about all of this Um, you know, relating to energy and emotions. Tell me about the Reiki work you've been doing. Yeah. So recently I just became a, um, I did my third level. So I'm a Reiki, considered a Reiki master. Anytime you do, you get into a profession like that, it obviously takes practice. But when we talk about, let's say emotions in particular, because we were just talking about this, our bodies are actually energetic. You can actually explain emotions on a very... Um, or even mindfulness, let's say on a scientific level, or you can explain it on a spiritual level. It's actually the same spectrum. It just really depends on where people want to meet you. But Reiki sort of takes us on that spiritual end, if you will. And it does entail working through our body's energy blockages. And so when we talk about emotions that aren't moved, emotions that aren't healed, they can actually get stuck within our body. And Reiki helps mobilize that stuff, that stagnant vibration within our body, and it helps release it. So 
I've been finding with some of the clients that I've been working on in this last little while that there are things that are coming up from their childhood, for example. There are things that are coming up from their recent divorce, things that they haven't even realized has uh, taken a hold on them until you're able to actually bring it up through some of the work that we do. Uh, So it can be hands-on, it can be, you know, you can hover over a body and a certain body part because energy is often given off, right, Mm. right off of your body. So uh, it's, it kind of relates to everything that I'm doing. I found like that that was the next step that I needed to take in this healing journey for myself and then also to use with others. That's fascinating. I don't know a lot about Reiki, but I've been hearing a lot more about it these days and I'm so curious Maybe you can work on you. Yes, I would (laughs) love to. I would love that. And, you know, I find that as I get older and sort of have this awakening of my own, I really am conscious of being open to new things that I might not have been open to before. And I really just want to open myself up to that and try stuff. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, that's okay. But, you know, I just feel like we owe it to ourselves to not be closed off to new experiences. I I agree with you. And I think that idea of being open is a part of our own awakening, right? Like there is something in us that needs to be awoken because we understand that we're, we're physical beings, but you know, when we start diving a little deeper and also realize that we're energetic beings, we start becoming so curious. So, you know, this is actually just going to bring me to a point when we talk about energy work, because um, we had a very unfortunate situation in our house. Uh, My uh, niece passed away Uh, of cancer in 2019. And that whole time building up to the knowing that she wasn't going to be a part of our lives for very much longer brought up a lot of not only my old emotions and feelings, but for other people as well, right? So you know, there were some times that I felt very angry or I felt very sad or, you know, sometimes just very confused. And you know what you do as, well, why should I feel sad? Why should I feel angry? It's my brother's daughter. Like I shouldn't have those feelings and emotions. And so, you know, you feel guilty for having those feelings. And so what happens is you suppress them, you suppress them, you tuck them away. But the problem is, is that when you don't deal with those emotions properly, they come out and they haunt you in very different ways. So whether it changes bits and pieces of your personality, whether it changes your behavior and your interaction with other people, whether that energy stays there and starts making you physically sick, like people have physical symptoms because this type of emotion gets stale and stagnant and it's not dealt with. So with respect to the Reiki, you know, and I brought this up just so you could understand how you can equate the two when Reiki is introduced to you, or when you undergo a Reiki treatment, you're able to bring up some of those suppressed emotions. So they are dealt with in a healthier manner. So they don't cause that physical illness, Mm -hmm. right? There are so many people who could benefit from something like that, whether it's a Reiki treatment or, you know, just talking about 
emotions that they've been, you know, pushing down, stuffing down for years sometimes, right? That can be so toxic. It is very much so. And again, you know, this has been a a work in progress for me. Like this is 16 years and I'm still discovering all of these things about me. So it is a journey. And I think anyone that decides to take this journey, you're only going to feel a little bit more liberated every day because you realize that, like we said, the gender roles, the cultural structure, our experiences and how they bind us to our behavior on a day-to-day basis. But like I said, the more work that you do, and there's so many modalities, as you know, I'm a chiropractor, I'm a certified coach practitioner, I am a Reiki master. And so those are three modalities that I use, but there are so many different modalities that you can use that are out there to help you overcome some of these things that have traumatized you. And maybe you don't even realize that have traumatized you um, and to overcome them just to liberate you. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I, th- I love that you use the word journey and that you said that even after all these years, you're still working on it because that there is no destination, right? It's not like right. you're okay. One day I'm healed. I'm great. I'm done. You know, it's like, we are always, there's always room to grow and learn and to become that fullest, most authentic expression of who we really are. Absolutely. And you know, I think the big difference for me, you know, being on this journey. And it's not just me. I know that many people experience similar things, but the more work you start doing on yourself, uh, things that used to trigger you before where, you know, you would, something would trigger you and then you would be stuck in that. I can't believe that happened. Or I can't believe that person said that to me. And then you start going through it in your head over and over and over again with this journey, with this process Things are still going to trigger you, but the amount of time you spend with that trigger is very little, mm-hmm. right? So that's yeah. the big thing, right? Where before you used to mull things over and your your ego is just so bruised. But then, you know, again, with the more work you do, you realize I don't have to spend a lot of time there. I've already dealt with this. I understand it's coming up now. It's almost like a gauge, like, hey, you know what? I think I've dealt with this situation pretty well because it doesn't bother me as much as it used to. Well, and when we have those tools that we've practiced with over and over and over again, like you said, when a trigger comes up, then we can more readily deal with it. That's right. Right. And with the empowerment project, you know, that's actually what we've done. More people are inclined to use tools like, like let's say meditation or breathing or visualization or gratitude uh, to bring them out of those states that the trigger puts you in when they understand scientifically what happens to their body when they engage in that trigger, right? So, you know, our thought affects the way that we feel, for example, and our feelings will affect our actions and our actions will change our environment. But once you have these tools, when you understand what meditation does, what breathing through a situation does and how it can change your heart rate, how it can um, bring your blood pressure down, people are more inclined to use yeah. things like that. Yeah. Oh, I love me some deep breathing. That yes. is like my, one of my favorite things. Yeah. So tell us about the Empowerment Project and how it came to be. The Empowerment Project actually came into fruition simply from my journey. So I ended up meeting a really good friend of mine, my partner right now uh, in crime, Andrea, and her expertise was yoga, 
mindfulness training, breathing, all of that kind of stuff. My background being the science, being the chiropractor and our interest in being with kids, you know, really being able to teach the kids. So if we go back to the beginning of this podcast, we talked about how kids are influenced at such a young age. But if you start giving them these tools at that age, imagine what kind of adults they would turn out to be, right? So we decided to marry our expertise. Uh, This was about five or six years ago and um, bring that into the elementary school system. But then we were also picked up by high schools because now we're dealing with kids that are not as influenced by, let's say, authoritarian individuals. Like, as you know, teens sort of behave on their own accord, if I can say that. (laughs) (laughs) And I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. But what we did was we took the mindfulness techniques and the science and we started teaching kids how to use it in career focuses. So in leadership, in behavior management, in stress management, in conflict resolution, in customer service. So because at the end of the day, when you think about a leader, what do you want from your leader? right? Like you want them to be empathetic. You want them to be good listeners. You want them to be able to use tools like a simple breathing technique to bring the group together. Mm -hmm. I I read a book. um, It's called 11 Rings by Phil Jackson. And I will tell you, I, I loved him before, because I was actually in Chicago when the Bulls won their one of their championships. That's where I went to school. But I loved him even more when I read his book because I understood what he started doing in the locker rooms. And he actually trained all of his players in mindfulness techniques and breathing and meditation. Because what he found was if you could collectively bring a group together. So again, in the locker room or whether you're in a corporate space and you're able to bring a group together utilizing mindfulness techniques, everybody operates on the same level. And so the results that you get, the productivity that you get, it's amazing. So Getting back to my point in high schools, we started taking this into high schools and these kids were eating it up because now they found how this made sense in a real world situation. And, you know, real world, I say that because, you know, high school for them is their real world. I should say more of a like a corporate or a a workplace career world, if you will. So that has been really amazing. And then, of course, taking it into corporations, that's been incredible. And obviously, you know, with the situation that we're in right now with um, the pandemic and Mm -hmm. whatnot, the type of stress management and resilience that has been required for people to get through these moments has been picked up by so many companies because we're all feeling the need. Yeah, for sure. Right? Absolutely. Like I said in the beginning, empowerment is my jam and I love what you're doing with the empowerment project. I think it's so valuable what you're teaching, not only kids, but adults in schools and in the workplaces, because like you said, having those tools, you know, and, and that mindset just makes us all better people and better people to be around. That is for sure. <laughs> exactly. Imagine if the whole world engaged in these techniques, imagine what kind of world we would have. Right. And so if we can start with ourselves, because obviously that's the best place, right. To s- start with yourself, because if you do the work, you create that ripple effect. 
thank you for being a part of that journey, not only for yourself, but then paying that forward to so many other people with your program. Oh, thank you, Kim. Uh, You know, I love what I'm doing. And again, if we can leave the world a better place when we leave than when we first entered, I I think we're we're doing a good job. We've done a good job, right? Absolutely. That moves us on to our, the final section of the interview, which is the final five. These are questions, the same questions that are asked of every guest. Okay. So are you ready? I am. Let's go. (laughs) The first is if you could have one superpower, what would it be? That is a good one. Well, there's a couple that I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, if I think about my family, I would say patience. Oh, I would, I would like to be patient with them in everything that they do, because it's such a learning curve for myself and for them. And to have that calm nature and being open to learning through patience, I think would be a big one. I love that. I would like that too. (laughs) I I wish parent wouldn't. Let's be honest, right? I think patience would be a big one for me. Yeah, I love that. When you were a kid, what did you think you'd be when you grew up? In all honesty, I thought that I would be um, helping people. And I think that that actually came from serving my family because really at the end of the day, that's what my job was. My job was to serve. Mm. So if I wasn't serving my family, who could I serve outside of my house? So I knew that it would be helping people in some capacity, which I think I've been able to do. Absolutely. If it were your last day on earth, what would your final meal be? Pizza. Oh, yes. You are not the first to say that. So, but the big question is the bigger question is what toppings? Oh, (laughs) all right. Are you ready? It's a long one. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, hot peppers for sure. Yeah. Um, I like like anything tangy and hot. So, hot peppers, olives, love pineapple on my pizza. I know a lot of people don't, but I love that sweet and hot flavoring. Um, Onions, mushrooms, peppers. That would probably be my pizza. Other than the pineapple, that sounds awesome. (laughs) I actually have never had a Hawaiian pizza, so I shouldn't judge, but it does sound a little odd, but I'm sure I do like that salty sweet. Yeah. So I should give it a try. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) if you've ever liked any like Asian food, you know, they do a lot of sweet and sour pork. It's kind of like the same idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yes, the pineapple, I know it's so weird, but yes. (laughs) Not weird. Not weird. No. (laughs) Um, Who is a woman in history or present day you admire? My mom. And I say that um, because I saw what she did for us. And again, I don't have any hard feelings with the way that she's raised us or what she was able to give us. But I saw as an immigrant parent, the kind of sacrifices that she made for the betterment of her family in every aspect. So like I said, financially, making sure that there was hot meals on the table, uh, making sure that um, there was a roof over our head, pressing the idea of education and how important that was, because that was not something that was readily available for everybody in India, which is where she came from. So she's definitely... She's on the top of my list. Oh, that's great. And last but not least, what is your favorite quote? It's a good one. If it's the one I think it is, it is a really good one. Okay, so Kim, you know what? Give me one second. I'm going to find it because it is something that I believe needs to be read. And I believe that it is something that needs to be uh, shared with everybody because it comes back to that whole idea of, you know, who we are, where we come from 
And if we're not happy with that, we can change it. So here we go. I'm going to read it to you. It is by Emily McDowell. It's called Finding Yourself. So finding yourself is not really how it works. You aren't a $10 bill in last winter's coat pocket. You are also not lost. Your true self is right there, buried under cultural conditioning, other people's opinions, and inaccurate conclusions you drew as a kid about yourself that became your beliefs about who you are. Finding yourself is actually returning to yourself, an unlearning, an excavation, a remembering who you were before the world got its hands on you. Chills. Uh, and I'm no. about to cry. <laughs> it happens to me every time. Oh, every I time I that. read that, I feel like it hits me a little deeper. Yeah, it really does. It's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much for being so open and honest today. I really loved having you and I appreciate you sharing your story for our audience. Oh, Kim, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share. 